We've been going through Genesis. Uh, we're going to continue going through Genesis. I want to echo um, what Catherine was saying at the start of may he give us an increased desire, increased look, like something, a taste of the scripture that's different, right? And so one of the things that you're going to find with me is I, I like to try to look at scripture from as many perspectives as I can, right? I like to sit in it and I like to say, okay, God, what, what do you want to reveal to me? And it's crazy. Those of us that have been walking with God for a while, it's like you read the Bible and then you read it again. And you're like, how did I miss this last time? And sometimes it's like, how did I miss this this last 30 years? How did I miss this again and again and again? And there's times where we read through things and it's like you almost get numb to some of the stuff that's in there, right? And, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, just as kind of a, we're just going to go through a few of the things that we were talking about. We were talking about how Adam and the second Adam both knew the creator God as father, right? So when you see the descendants all the way to Jesus in in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where they're talking about, you know, Son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so, the genealogies, right? One is like the descendants, and one is kind of the ascendants going backwards, right? And both you have Jesus, who is called the second Adam. He is the son of the living God, right? And so he almost exclusively was bringing people to his father and not to his God, which is a fascinating subject. He's almost always saying, if you know me, you know my father, right? I only do what my father is saying. All of these things, he keeps saying it over and over again. But also in one of the ascendants, you go, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of Adam, son of God. And so you have, again, we have this option here where, where God is creating. Is he a God? Yes, he's absolutely God. He is also absolutely father, right? And in his creation, he creates all of this stuff. He shows his power, which a lot of times we, we recognize power with gods, Right? And so he shows his power through his creation. But you know who wasn't there to watch it? It was Adam. Adam and and Eve, they weren't there to watch it, right? They didn't see all of the power. All that they knew of him as a father was by his presence in the garden, right? Their first understanding, their first attachment with God, the creator, their first attachment, the first understanding, he's our dad. He's our father, right? And so if he started off with that and with Jesus again later as a father, like I think somewhere in between we have to start asking our question, and it's an uncomfortable question in some ways, but do we view God more as a God who is distant in our life, or do we have a father who is close, right? And we have talked a couple different Sundays about how, you know, that father wound that's there. I had a good father, and even with a good father, I have father wounds, right? How much more those that don't have a good earthly father? Like there is an attack on fatherhood that is just crazy in this earth, right? And it's everything is trying to divide from what a good father is. And I'm going to continue hammering it. And it's not because I want to like keep pushing on your wounds, but I want you to be healed so that you can have a restoration with a father who is good. If you don't know that your father is close to you and you don't know that your father delights in you, that your father is good, and he wants to bring good into your life, and he wants to redeem things, and wants to restore things, then I'm going to keep pushing it until you know that man, because that man is good, right? And she's got bare feet. How are you doing, sweet girl? She's got bare feet. Um, 
bare feet. I, I don't have my shoes on right now, and this was not a part of my sermon. Um, I think one of the things that a lot of um, Eastern Orthodox Catholic get right is a reverence for God. Rob and I talk every once in a while about like, man, I wish we had a reverence for God again, you know? And like for me, I grew up in a way that like a generation where how you revere God is you come in your Sunday best all of the time, right? And I don't want to knock that. There was an honoring of my parents that I did for years and years and years that was good. But sometimes I'll come up here and I don't wear shoes, okay? Sometimes I wear the bare feet. Thanks for telling me, Selah. And it's not because there's an irreverence. It's not because there's a flippancy that I have with the word. It's because sometimes when I'm worshiping, God says, take off your shoes, make this holy ground. Like for me, I take off my shoes sometimes when I'm here because I want to bring a reverence to this spot. That was not a part of my sermon, but there it is. It's an extra one for you. Okay? Um, <laughs> we were at Copper Harbor this last week. It was awesome. Uh, and uh, the Madisons and the Veals stayed for the second rain. And uh, there was a parade in town, and Copper Harbor does parades like we remember 30 years ago. Um, it's not filled with advertisements. It's filled with like, what is that? Oh, but also candy and lots of, okay, cool. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm sitting there, and in this, you know, crowd of people that are there, um, a friend of mine that I haven't seen in 20 years, 20 years, Mark Urbish, he, he comes up to me with this big old grin. It's like, Betty Vale. I was like, Mark Urbish, how you doing? He's like, I was sitting here, and in the sea of kids getting candy, I saw your son. Now, remember, I haven't seen him in 20 years. He doesn't know that I'm married, doesn't know that I have kids. He's never met my kids. He said, I saw your son, and I said, his father has got to be close. And he started looking in the crowd for where is Benny's father. Like, where's Benny? Because that's a little Benny, right? May we walk that way. May we walk in such a way that when people come in contact with you, they say, they have a close father. Their father is close, right? Like, may there be such a mark on our life where we're like, that one looks like God the Father. He's got to be close. He's up to something right now, right? Isn't that good? Um, Also not in my notes, so let's keep going with my notes. All right, God creates. All right, so we talked a little bit about God creating things, okay? Um, And I'm going to go through a few Hebrew words. Um, And I'm going to continue trying to add some Hebrew context through some of the sermons, not all of them, but also an Eastern Orthodox view. And it's not because it's like the Hebrews got it all right, or the Eastern Orthodox have it right, or the Westerns have it all right. It's like the more angles we can see this from, the more there's an understanding, right? And so there's a word, ruach which is the spirit or wind or breath. And so at the start of Genesis, it talks about his ruach. It hovered over the void. It hovered over this this darkness, right? And it's his spirit that hovers over this, right? And it's also a breath, right? So it's also tied to the nesham and the breath when he breathed into Adam, right? And so there's this thing that happens, and it happens over and over. And then there's something called chiasms, um, or chiastic poems. You guys know what chiasms are? Put your hand up if you're like, I know all about them. There's a few people, cool. 
the Bible is filled with chiasms, okay? And by chiasms, it's this literary thing that happens that, that when you look, it's like it's filled with all these like in Genesis 1 through 2, 3, in Genesis 1 through 11, like the story of Joseph is a chiasm, the story of Noah is a chiasm, you know, like you still haven't explained what a chiasm is, okay? It's kind of this thing where you have like in the poetry you have A, B, C, D, E, D, C, B, A. And the second part resolves what the first part's trying to get you to understand. So it like walks you through, it builds this foundation, has this pivot point where it's like, this is what it's all about. And by the way, this, because this is what it's all about, this is how it restores this stuff, okay? So we're going to talk about this as we go through Genesis. But you see it in this, so it's, it's, sometimes it's in a mirror, sometimes it's A, B, C, D, A, B, C, D, right? So when we look at the first days, we have God saying, and there was, and it was good, evening and morning, the blank day. So evening and morning, the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day. Doesn't say it about the seventh day, P.S. And I think part of that is it's an invitation to let go of time and say, hey, I want you to be present. Let's rest. Let's be present with our Father, right? But there's this thing that happens with these chiasms in here, okay? There's a ton of them in Genesis. I'm not going to go through all of them right now, but let me just give you an example. Um, and there's a lot of different versions of this, but I, I stole this one what, from Christine Miller. Thank you, Christine Miller, for making my slide. Um, Google is, saves you time sometimes. But if you ever like, this thing is a cool concept. Go check it out. It answers so many things, okay? So here we have, in the beginning, God created. So in 1-1, he created. But at the end, in 2-1 through 3, on the seventh day, God rested from everything that he had created, right? In 1-2, the earth was void of life, um, and God hovered over the, the waters. And you look at the back, 2-B, so it's 1-20-31. God filled the waters and the earth with living creatures. You see that? And then the greens, God created light. Um, and the firmament of the heavens on the first and second days. Well, on 1, 14 through 19, God filled the heavens with lights. Okay, the red one, 1, 9, and 10, God created dry land. D, God filled the dry land. And the central axis is on verse 110. It says, and God saw that it was good. Like, we have to remember that everything pivots on his goodness, like, everything is built on his goodness. Spoiler alert, you're going to see goodness and rest over and over as, like, these central points of these chiasmic poems, right? And it's all about his rest, and it's all about his goodness. And he's like, yeah, this is good. So I'm going to build these things. I'm going to create this space, and then we're going to fill it, okay? And this is a kind of this cool idea, right, where God creates this whole thing, and he creates the animals, he creates the beasts, and then he says... Adam and Eve, hey, fill the earth, multiply it. Like, that's what he tells them is fill it with your presence. And it is this chiastic thing where he's like, fill it with your presence. But what's coming later, the flip side, is he wants to fill our worlds, fill us with his presence, right? Like, spoiler alert, that's what's coming. Isn't that awesome, right? And part of how you do that is you have to create a space, right? If you create a space, he will fill it. Isn't that, isn't that cool? Right? So what I mean by that is sometimes when we worship, and all of our worship leaders know that they have my complete thumbs up, that if they're worshiping and they're like, you know what, we just need to do this thing, we'll do a sermon another week. 
right? If we just need to create that space that while we're worshiping through song, he can make himself known to us, right? It's when you read the Bible and you say, I'm going to declare this time, I'm going to sit and read through the Bible. You create a space for him to fill. If you go out in the woods hunting, one of my favorite things to do hunting is to sit in silence and in nature and create a space where I say, Dad, what do you have to say to me? And it takes a while for me to spill out all my thoughts, and then I can hear again, right? Ah, it's so good. Anyway, um, that is what we see with some of these chiastic stuff. Um, If you're like, okay, how do I look for it when I'm reading the Bible? How do I find these chiasms? Usually, you're going to find it in repeated words or in numbers. Like, for instance, there's seven Hebrew words in the first verse. There's 14, which is seven times two. In the second verse, at the very end, of it's seven times five. You know, and God is mentioned 35 times in this passage, which is seven times five. Earth is mentioned seven times three. Earth and heaven and firmament is seven times three, 21 times. So like, what's when you're like, it's over and over and over again. It's like, and God said, and God said, and God said. You're like, I thought we, like, I get the point. You've told me already, usually because it's a chiastic poem. And then sometimes you're like, the other thing is like, Okay, that doesn't really fit. Like, we're talking about all of this stuff in Genesis, and then he throws in this, hey, by the way, there's these four rivers, right? And there's this first river looks like this, and it's got sweet golden, and the second one's like this. Third one's like this, and the fourth one you don't really know much about. And you're like, okay, that was, that was weird. Like, why was that like the main part of why we're talking about it? It's a sermon for another day, but it's, the answer is finding the rest of the chiasm. The other chiasm part of the poem tells you what's going on in there, right? And so God does that in the scriptures when you start looking through these chiastic poems. All right, so let's go to day six. So God has created Adam, right? And we talked about how God creates Adam. This is the first time he says, oh man, it's not good that Adam is alone, right? And then we talked about how God, one of the very first things he does is says, okay, I'm going to put all of the animals, all of the beasts in front of you. Go ahead, give them names, right? And we think the job is to give them names, but we talked about this a few weeks ago. Part of the job was to find a suitable helper, right? A suitable help mate or a suitable help meet, but really those are poor English translations. The Hebrew would call it um, an etzer konegdo, an etzer konegdo. And an etzer konegdo has more to do with, hey, I want to find somebody who is equal to you, who is a warrior, who has strong help, who is a man's perfect match, right? And then we talk about how there wasn't any suitable matches. He looked at all of the beasts, and there was none that was equal. And so he, God put him to sleep. And then out of Adam, we say he took his rib, right? So he took his rib out of him, and he made woman. But really... Rib is also one of those like kind of weird translations because it's in the Bible a bunch of times. The only time it's translated as rib is here in English. The rest of the times it's usually side, and in particular, almost like a side in battle a lot of times. So you put etzer together with, etzer connecto with this tzela or tzala. Um, and it's basically this concept that woman was not created just to be submissive and just to be lesser and just to be ruled over by her husband or just to be anything like that. Is there a point where there's submission? Is there order? Absolutely, right? But she's supposed to be a warrior. She is supposed to be there, right? And like one of, one of the, the 
Hebrew words for it is one who contends to help. And it's this concept like to give you a visual. All right? So if you make Adam and Eve together, right, and you put them together, they're, they're equal in so many ways, and yet you almost have to have them push against each other. There almost has to be a tension where they, they push. It's like in the New Testament, we talk about iron sharpening iron. There's a friction that happens to make you sharp, right? Those of you that are married, like you're going to have some opposition at some level, but it's there to help you stand together. And those of you that are like, I'm not married yet. Well, guess what? You get the father to get to lean on, and he gets to lean on you. This etzer is twice in woman right here in this verse in Genesis. Three times it's nations helping Israel when they're besieged, right? So when we're talking about what is this identity of woman, it's Israel is in trouble. They are encircled by their enemies, and they're going down, and they say, we need help. Right? And the nations come to their help in these three locations. The rest of the time, 16, it's them calling out to God, and God is their help. God is the one that says, I've got your back. Right? So I don't take the woman's role lightly. It's not just a, well, you got to be submissive. you gotta, you got to find a way to just be less than. It's not a less than. It's an equal partnership together. And there's only a unity of humankind when you come together. Right? And that only happens through the presence of the Father, right? And so you've got these verses in here where it talks about the rib and the side, and it's, it's actually some military terms, and you're like, well, that's kind of weird. Well, let's just go with rib, right? That's what the English does. Let's talk about man and woman. So Hebrew would call it ish and isha, okay? So man would be ish in Hebrew. And then isha, you can hear isha comes from ish, right? Of ish. Does that make sense? You don't have to memorize that. All right, here's a fascinating thing here. In the garden, right, God takes the woman out of him, and he looks at her, and he's enthralled by her. He's like, ah, I just saw all the beasts of the earth, and none was equal to me, but this one, this bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, this one, call her Isha, I call her my woman, right? This one right here is my woman. She is, she is mine, and, and the focus is on who she is. And the reason why I say focus on who she is is it's this fascinating thing when you step back and look at Scripture. He names her woman, right? The one that was given the authority to name everything else. So there's authority in his voice, right? So God is a man of creation. He created us in his own image. And he tells Adam and Eve, like, hey, I want you to have dominion. I want you to have authority on this earth. Right? And so out of his authority, he goes and he names these animals, but also out of the authority, he names her woman. And the reason why I keep saying he keeps naming her woman is because I had never stopped to consider that he named her twice. Once, when it was who she is, and he's enamored by her. And the second time, afterwards, was Chava, we say Eve, which means to make live. Right? So after after they eat, it changes from, I love who you are, to what you can do. Think about that for a second. It goes from who you are to what you can do. We'll talk about that another week. There's this fascinating passage in here, too. It's like, he does all this, and then he's like, this is why a man leaves his father and his mother, and he bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. And you're like, okay, first of all, 
wait, what? Like, usually it's the woman that leaves and goes to the man's, and like, why, why are we talking about nakedness already? Like, right? It's like, you see it, and it's in Genesis multiple times. It's like, there's this highlight on nakedness. In fact, one of the chiasms talks about this right here. They were naked, yet felt no shame, right? And I think shame is one of the biggest things that got added in the process of them eating from the tree. And again, we'll get there another week. But there's this fascinating concept here that I look at it and I say, I think our Heavenly Father knew full well that when he created Adam and Eve, that Adam was going to leave the one that he knows as Father, which is our God the Father. He was going to leave to cling to Eve. Right? But I think he also knew the chiasm, the other side of the question, where Jesus was going to leave his Father in some ways to cling to us as a bride because he wanted to restore and redeem the thing, right, that, that was broken. Like there's this chiasm from here to here that we keep seeing over and over in Scripture where God continues to redeem. So the question I have in some level is like, what makes us human? So what makes us human? That's a question. Give me something. Anybody? Does anybody know what makes us human? Okay. Okay, so co- mental cognition, spirit. Did you say meta or mental? We can think about our thinking, okay? Being in the image of God, okay? Having choices. Having limits. Having limits. That's a fascinating one. Um, I look and and I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit. We'll talk a little bit more about this later. But when you have the serpent in the garden, tell me about the serpent in the garden. What do you know about the serpent? He's what? Beautiful. He was cunning. Yeah. So you have a serpent that's cunning. How do we know that he's cunning? He speaks, right? Like... There's two places in the Bible where it talks about animals speaking. This is one of them. Like, sometimes we read the Bible so many times that we don't stop to be like, that, that's weird. <laughs> or it's even more weird to me is that that wasn't weird. Right? Like, think about the garden for a second, that they lived in a way that they prob- Adam probably had a conversation with these animals. Wait, what? You actually want to be called giraffe? Well, that's weird, but... Let's go with it. All right, giraffe for the long neck one. Sweet. You know, like, there's probably some sort of conversation with some of these animals and the fact that, like, it wasn't weird that this serpent was talking. So this, ta- this talking serpent also has the ability to think, the ability to reason, right? Almost even the ability to r- relate, right? Like, he's thinking about all these things. He's having a conversation. So... You look at this and you say, wait a second, that is kind of weird because there's a lot of very human-like characteristics with the serpent. Yeah? Yes? Okay, good. Glad that I'm not the only one that's thinking that. A big, 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 big massive part and key to it is, is in being in the image of God, right? And part of being in the image of God, like that's another one of those reasons why he had Adam start off with, okay, name all these beasts. Because he needed Adam to realize you are not a beast. You're not a beast. You are in my image, but they are not. 
right? There was this separation. We talked about in, well, day one through day six, it's all about God separating light from darkness, sea from sea, land from earth. Like all these things, he's separating, separating, separating. And he's trying to give Adam, like Adam hops in this world. He's like, let me separate this out for you. You are in my image. I am your father. But these, these are not equal to you. Isn't that kind of fascinating? Another one, you had said limits, right? So ruach, right? We talked, ruach, it means what? Spirit, breath, right? Wind. So you think about the fruits of the spirit, the spirit of ruach, right? What are they? Love, joy, peace. And self-control, which seems to be like the add and throw in, like, what do you do with self-control? Like, cool, right? And yet I would say to you, it might be the thing that makes us most human of those, right? Because you have, you have the ability with the self-control. Like, oh, I got to get there. Give me a second. Okay, so there's this big passage here. I know you can't read it, but those taking notes, read it in your Bible. It's Genesis 3, 1 through 7. And it's basically when the serpent is trying to, like, trick them, right? And so the serpent is tricking them, saying, hey, did God really say this? And we can get into that uh, more another week. But in 6, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, also desirable for gaining wisdom. Okay? I think there's this little treasure in there, desirable for gaining wisdom. And I think about this. With beasts, with beasts, can they control their desires? Do they have the self-control? Does a lion ever say, I don't think I want to eat that thing. No, he attacks it, right? Like animals, they have a desire and they go after that desire, right? But we have an ability to say, no, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull back. I'm going to stop, right? Um, which goes to El Shaddai, right? So in the Western mindset, when we see El Shaddai, we say God Almighty, the Eastern Orthodox would say the many-breasted one or the one who is a nurturer, right? A lot of Hebrew rabbis, they will take the letters because Hebrew is like a bunch of consonants back to get, like, like the only thing that they have is like where to breathe in there. And so you put it in there and like one long sentence of consonants can be read a number of different ways. But if you put it and made it into a phrase, the Hebrew rabbis would say it's the God who knows how to say enough. The God who knows how to say enough. Isn't that a fascinating perspective on it? It's like God who's creating, and he, he creates, he creates, creates. He says, okay, enough of the creation for a second. We got to rest. But like later on, we see, you know, like with Noah, there's destruction. He's like, enough, I'm going to relent, right? Like there's this image that God has that he has given to us where there's a self-control level where we say, this is the limit that we're going to go to, and, and I'm going to relent. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to pay back what I need to pay back, right? There's an ability that we have to do that. The beasts of the earth don't. They don't say, oh, you know what? You were good to my, you know, baby cub a while ago, so I'm not going to attack you. No, it's not that. They don't consider that. All right. After all of the day six stuff, what do they do? They give you a hint. It's day seven. What do we do? rest, right? There's a rest that happens. Here's a fascinating thing for me, okay? In our day and age, we talked about this a few weeks ago too, right? Everything starts in the morning, goes to night. Morning, night, morning, night, morning, night. How many of you work at 
to start the morning. You wake up, and then one of the very first things you do is you go to work. Most of us, right? It's like work and then rest, work and then rest, work and then rest. And yet here you have the Hebrew in Genesis saying, evening and then there was morning, evening and then there was morning, evening and there was morning. And I think part of it was, hey, you know what? I want you to start your day with rest because I want you to start by who you are and out of who you are, let things happen of what you do based out of who you are. But I don't want you to put your identity in what you do first. Does that make sense? Like I even look at this and I say, okay, God was there for the first six days. On the seventh day, he rested, but Adam wasn't. His first full day, because we don't know when in day six he was created, his first full day was rest. Isn't that kind of cool? Like, he started off with rest. He, he wasn't like, oh, yeah, I got to work six days to earn my rest. He started off with rest, and out of that rest and out of that presence, everything else flowed. Um, now, here's the God who knows and uh, when to say enough is Ruach. All right. I want to just take a few more minutes to talk about what was the world like in the days of Adam and Eve, or Adam and woman at the time, in the Bible, right? A lot of times we fly through Genesis, and you have to stop and think, like, the world was completely different before the fall. And then from the fall to the flood drastically different again, like crazy different from what we have. You have people living 900 plus years, right? And we're like, that's weird. I'm just going to read through that and move on to the next thing, right? And then from there to the Tower of Babel. And like, like there's these sections where it's like, man, this world is different. It's, it's, but I want us to stop and think for just a minute before we move on, because it's quick that they fall in the garden. What was it like in the garden? And this is a question that I'm like, asking you to give me some responses. I won't tell you you're wrong. It's not a test. What was it like? It was warm. If you're going to be naked all the time, it's got to be some level warm. I hear you, Michael Vrooman. Right? But you're right. Right? Okay, what else? It was peaceful, right? There was a lot of peace. There was rest. There was a lot of goodness. I think about the fruit that was there. What was the fruit like? Yeah. It's got to be awesome. Like, I think of, of our father walking with Adam and Eve and, like, going and teaching them how to, like, produce this fruit, right? And so what happens when they curse later the ground? I keep thinking to myself, like, oh, man, that's a bummer for Adam. Like, hey, you are going to work and you're going to toil all the time to try to get the produce that you know is possible. It's another sermon. But like, there's got to be a ton of like just lush, good, peace, all that stuff, right? What else was it like? We have evidently talking animals of some kind, at least one, right? And that wasn't weird. We don't have rain on the land, right? What do we have? Yeah, we got these streams right? We've got a mist that covers everything. But it was good. It was good, right? And I think that when you talk about the chiasm of the entire lifetime of humanity, it starts off with, this is very good. And we need to remember some days that it's going to end with, this is very good. And we are the ones that get to usher that in. 
in partnership with him. Isn't that kind of cool? We get to lean on him, and he leans on us as we bring that in. All right, what we're going to do, it's one of the things that um, we do with our church is we break off into groups of three, four, five, six uh, people around you. And uh, we create that space for our Father to fill it, right? We create a space through prayer of how we can pray a blessing with each other, encourage each other, challenge each other, um, or just listen and say, Dad, what do you got for us? Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to break off into that. And then after that, we're going to have some time of worship through singing. And at that point in time, if you want some extra prayer, you're more than welcome to come sit in the front. Somebody will come pray with you. Um, I got just a few reflections for you to think about as we break into groups. One, do you have a God who is far or a father who is close? Two, who is our helper? Is it okay if there's tension and friction sometimes in that help? Three, God created a space for us to fill. Do we create spaces for our Father to fill? And four, do you have the self-control to say enough? All right, go ahead and break up.